You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 50 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. However, today is a particularly dangerous day to be alive. And you know why it's a dangerous day to be alive, Mike? Did you wake up feeling dangerous, not unlike Baker Mayfield? No, actually, very much the opposite. Um, <laughs> I overslept, which is why I recorded this podcast late. But anyway, <laughs> no, it's a dangerous day to be alive because every day is a good day to be alive. And one J.J. Watt, in an interview with Jay Glazer for a piece on The Athletic, said, this is the title of the article, quote, anyone who tells you that every day is good is a liar, end quote. J.J. <laughs> Watt and his climb back to dominance after horrific injuries. So clearly, J.J. <laughs> Watt, listener of the podcast. <laughs> Subtweeting you. Takes great umbrage with my claim that every day is a good day to be alive, which, let's be honest, he has suffered two season-ending injuries in back-to-back years. Not surprised, he's a little down. <laughs> and so he's decided to take uh, take the fight to me. He has decided to to uh, throw back in my face my favorite adage. So I, I added him on Twitter. I said, uh, stop subtweeting me at JJY. <laughs> I sent him a picture <laughs> of the article title. And now we wait to see... <laughs> on which night he kills me in my sleep. Very nice. This is an open invitation to J.J. Watt, listener of the show, to come on and air out your differences with Ben's, really, that how he lives his life. Yes. <laughs> and, J.J., we have lots of technology now, so you can do it remotely. You can do it from very far away in the comfort of your own home in Houston, which is not in Chicago, which is far away. Podcasting is very easy these nowadays with all of this technology that you kids use. Ben, moving on to some Eagles news. Uh, may not also be a good day to be alive if you're Camus Grugier Hill, because I'm not in love with his comments. Oy. John Clark of NBC Sports, you can follow him on Twitter at jclarknbcs, tweeted a video of Camus in the locker room, and Camus said, quote, Look at Dallas's history. They always choke. So we'll go down there and make them choke, unquote. Ben, why is Camus talking as if he is an egg on Twitter? Okay, well, firstly, the content behind choking is like you, you can't force somebody. Like choking is self. You can't go down to Dallas and make a team choke. They have to choke themselves, okay? So obviously, it's a very Ben thing to be bothered by the logistics of this more so than the actual, like, uh, you know, like spirit of it. But... It does frustrate me a little bit that there's this 
mindset that like, listen, like we're going to go down there to Dallas and we're going to beat them because Dallas always chokes. Right. Well, how about like we're going to go down there to Dallas and we're going to beat them because we've been playing better the past two weeks. We're going to dominate all three phases of the game. Yeah, we're going to go down there to Dallas and we're going to beat them because we know our season's on the line. Like, let's make this about Philadelphia. Let's let's say like we as a locker room, we as a team, as a coaching staff, as a linebacking core, as a defense are ready to go down there and beat Dallas. We are prepared. We are better prepared than we were for that last, uh, you know, disappointing loss off the bye. We were frustrated by that. We recognize we've been given a second chance here. You know, we've won a couple games and a couple of losses have happened, so we're in a good spot to jump forward. Mike, I don't know if you saw the uh, the playoff probability thing that ESPN releases, right, the leverage. Philadelphia is at the second largest playoff leverage at stake in this game with 42%. The first largest in the NFL is the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> at 45%. Uh, so, yeah, basically, this game, uh, if if Dallas wins it, they're at almost a 99% chance to win the division. And if Philly and Dallas, if Philly wins it, they're pretty much tied yeah. to see who wins the division because of the, the remaining three games. And Philadelphia has to at least tie Dallas and they can't drop number against, which we've talked about. So, huge game. Talk about the Eagles. Talk about you being ready to take on this huge game. You guys playing better as a unit. We, like uh, Dallas always chokes. Is that what we're banking on? Like, is right. that is that what, our number one reason that we think this game's going to be won? Because that's not a great message. You know, this whole Super Bowl thing has been like, there's no hangover. Like, you know, embrace the target. Well, you just put the target on the other team. You're like, hey, the pressure's on you guys because you guys choke a lot. Yeah. Well, then that doesn't really like follow script, I suppose. So yeah, I, I it surprised me. It it actually doesn't surprise me that it was Camus because I would have ex- I would never expect that from a veteran player. Uh, you know, whereas Camus right. kind of like has been stepping into more of a role. Obviously, he's still like a, I believe like a third or fourth year player. I think he's a third year player. Um, so it doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, like you know, I I, I wouldn't have expected a, a veteran to say that. Honestly, I would have expected Jalen Mills to say it. Jalen Mills would be my first bet. Um, <laughs> but it, it, the content isn't great. I don't love it. Definitely. And if I'm Jason Garrett, putting it right on the bulletin board, scared the crap out of my cat. So there's that going on in my house right now. But yeah. I'm not in love with it. We'll see how that pans out. Hopefully, Camus gets to follow up with some trash talk after the game. Dak fired back with like some who, you know, who is this person? Winners, winning and winners and losers and all this, all this other crap. Dak's corny. I don't care about his response. Dak's response pretty interesting because it was Jason. You know, Coach Garrett has a good quote, which is that you know, lo- uh, winners focus right. on winning and losers focus on winners. So, firstly, Dak opened with, "Well, my dad always says," which is never strong to begin with. <laughs> you know, like, "Oh, buddy, like, what do you say about this?" Um, and then, like, you know, losers uh, focus on winners and winners focus on winning. Jack, you have not been very successful in your career. <laughs> you know, like it's a tough, it's a tough place to come from. Um, but either way, like obviously, like it's fun to poke fun at Dak, but really, like Camus should be the one who's watching his mouth here. Absolutely. So we touched on the news about Alex Smith on the recent QB Sco show that also released today. You can take a listen to that. Me and Mark Schofield talked a little bit about it. Also had Mark Bullock from the Athletic DC on that show to talk about the Redskins' future, and we talked right before the news hit that Alex Smith has had complications and several procedures uh, with an infection in his ankle and has had multiple surgeries. They're removing tissue to clear the infection. It's been weird with Smith because, as Mark Bullock pointed out, there up to this point, there has been complete radio silence from both the Redskins and Alex Smith regarding, like, his possible return to the team next year. So the Redskins, and, and let's put football aside for a second, you know, the infections of that nature can be life-threatening. So you definitely hope that Alex Smith is okay. Let me clarify that. This is not all about football. You hope he's all right. 
But looking, you know, at it through a football lens, he might not be back next year, and the Redskins might need a quarterback, and they've won too many games with Alex Smith to be in a position to where if they want a quarterback, especially with this class, they would have to trade up, and they have a team ahead of them, the Giants, who need a quarterback, who will likely be in a better place to strike and get a quarterback. So this is a bad situation, not just for the Redskins, but also personally for Alex Smith as well. Yeah, and uh, it's a, I mean, obviously they're in a very good position because they, they drafted a late-round guy who had good physical tools, so they've been developing for a while by the name of Nate Sudfeld. <laughs> and the thing about Nate is, he's on the Eagles, boy! Okay, yeah, so they don't have Sudfeld, who was kind of that developmental piece that they liked. Uh, and he they tried to, I believe, stash him on the practice squad last year, and the Eagles signed him up from that practice squad uh, onto the active roster. And he's looked quite good for Philadelphia in terms of a guy develop- developing into a backup, you know, not necessarily too high of a ceiling, but he's looked good in that regard. So Colt McCoy obviously is not a guy who you want to be starting for you long term. The Giants, Mike, are where they were a team that we've been expecting to draft a quarterback, but they've won three out of their last four games. The game they lost was the Eagle game, by the way. Master plan. They're now four and eight. They're out of the top 10, and there have been rumblings that they're not even interested in drafting a quarterback anyway. They want to stay with Eli, I've, I've been which is, is, is like, the and, and Mike, like, the, there are rumblings that are, like, stupid. These are legit. Like, from people that we've talked to, especially over at the Draft Network, yeah. Like, there's a legit shot. Like, they're going to they're gonna check out the quarterback class, but they're not going to force a pick at all if they don't like one. So... You know where this all started? Because I talked about this with Mark uh, Schofield on the QB Sco Show. It was before the Eagles game, after the San Francisco 49ers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game where Eli balled out against two defenses that, you know, opposing quarterbacks could combine to an MVP caliber quarterback. Those two games, after those two, that's when you started to hear a real buzz about the fact that the Giants might not be interested in the quarterback at all. Please let that be the case. That's, in, that's wild. It's a beautiful thing. Mike. It is beautiful. Delusion <laughs> is fantastic. And NFL cronyism and in-thinking and Dave Gettleman are just perfect <laughs> things in the world. It would appear that the Giants are not actually going to be drafting a quarterback. Uh, I, like, I shouldn't say that. It would appear there's a chance the Giants don't. And accordingly, you could see uh, quarterbacks fall a little bit further. Obviously, the Giants are now out of the top 10. Redskins will be picking in the teens. Uh, you know, Philadelphia moved up from 13 to 2 to get a quarterback. You would not have to move up nearly as far in this year's class. You'd probably have to move up into somewhere in the, into the, the late single digits, the 6s, the 7s, the 8s. But the problem is that is if you get a team like Oakland or you get a team like Jacksonville who are also might be interested in a quarterback, they might preempt you with a move up. So it may, re, you know, it may just escalate like that. Right. But it's important to know that right now, uh, the the Redskins are, I believe, only about a game, maybe two games back from Jacksonville. Right. And the Redskins are going to keep losing this year, right? Like, the Redskins could and likely will end up at 6-10. and 10. And so they're going to be in a spot where they're, they're going to yeah. be... It'll be very easy for them to move up to, like, 6 or 5. Right. And that's probably a, a safe spot to be the first quarterback off the board from what we understand in the beginning of December, right? Five months out. That's a big investment, though, long-term, because they traded a pick, and then they have to trade more picks to get another quarterback well yeah but what are you gonna Colt McCoy 
No. You know, this is in the no in the no Alex Smith world. Well, you know, your veteran quarterback just had a career ending injury, and yeah. whenever that happens, you are pretty much always caught with your pants around your ankles. Oh you know yeah, what I mean, like it's never going to be great. I get your point. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, it's a hypothetical scenario that we can talk about more as as the as we get more information. Main thing is like, oh, you feel awful for Alex Smith. That's yeah. just the worst. What a what an interesting and odd career Smith has had, uh, and for it to end like this would be disappointing. But. Uh, hopefully things go better for him, and we'll have to see what Washington does at the position. Absolutely. But that is not the main topic of this show. We went a little long on the front end here because there was a, a couple of news stories dropping. But the main topic of this show, we start our preview series of the Eagles Week 14 matchup with the Dallas Cowboys. To do that, we are going to start with the Cowboys defense against the Eagles offense. Next show, of course, is going to be BGN Radio, and then we'll follow up by flipping it and going with the Eagles defense against the Cowboys offense. So today, Ben, we are up against a Cowboys defense that has not allowed over 30 points all year. And one thing I really wanted to highlight here, Ben, is the job mm-hmm. that this coaching staff has done in getting this young core of players on all three levels to where they can play at the level that they are. And we can talk about the Saints game being an aberration and how defenses perform and so like they aren't very sticky and things always tilt towards the offense and the wash. But just the fact that they're capable of that high level of performance against a firecracker like the Saints, I think it speaks to this the job that this staff has done. And I'm not talking about Jason Garrett. I, th- I still think he's a toddler. I'm talking about defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Rob Marinelli, who's done an excellent job developing guys like Demarcus Lawrence, cross-training guys like Tyrone Crawford, who makes contributions in three, sometimes four different spots along that line. I'm talking about passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach Chris Richard and what he's done with all the young pieces that they've drafted in recent years. And we'll get into Byron Jones and whatnot as we go along. I'm even talking about linebackers coach Ben Bloom, who now boasts one of the best groups in the league with Jalen Smith looking fully recovered uh, from injury and flying around like a lunatic with Leighton Vander Esch playing out of his mind and seemingly getting better every week and doing things from a mental and a physical perspective that we only saw glimpses of in college. And beyond Sean Lee, who we all know about, Damian Wilson has been coming in on their base package. And while they do well to hide him from coverage by getting his snap ratio to lean heavy run much like the Eagles did last year with Danelle Ellerby he's playing some decent ball better than I certainly expected so we often talk about and we did before the last matchup that the Eagles have the better coaching the better quarterback the more talented team depending on their health of course well it's definitely true that Doug Peterson can coach the pants off Jason Garrett but compare what the assistants in Dallas outside of Scott Linehan who I'll also throw in the toddler bucket with Jason Garrett. Outside of him, these defensive coaches, in my opinion, have done a marvelous job with this unit. Yeah, so let's talk about the linebackers. Uh, why are Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch so good? Well, number one, they're two first-round caliber talents. I believe Smith went not in the first round due to injury. Very early second, but he would have gone like top 10 if he wasn't injured. Yeah, exactly. He's an out. animal. Why, why are these two particularly so effective number one they are insanely fast yeah. right so smith is super fast van Rash is like fast for a linebacker and smith can fly all right so what does that do for you number one well it allows you to flow very hard into the flats and you'll notice that teams do not have a lot of success running outside the tackles against the cowboys and the reason is Van Der Esch and, and, and smith can fly and not only can they fly most of the time your linebackers that can fly are like 60230. Yeah. Van Resch and Smith are like 
six three two fifty. These kids can move. They're filled all out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they are big boys. So like off the tackles trying to tag them on the run. Well, you get a, a piece of those smaller backers and you can knock them off their spot. Van Der Esch and, and Smith ain't getting moved off that easily. So number one, they can fly. And that lets you chase down plays into the boundary. You'll notice that jet sweeps and quick tosses and crack tosses are not very effective against the Cowboys because of those linebackers. Also, uh, quick plays uh, into the boundary in terms of how you like to attack cover three by getting into the flats very quickly with like, you know, a uh, little like play action boots, little waggles, little like split zone play action stuff. Again, these backers can get into the flats so very, very quickly. And then what's the second thing? They are super, super aggressive into contact. And this is where the size comes in, right? You cannot, and this is bad news for Philadelphia, no two ways about it. You can't run screens. You can't. I tried to find a successful screen as Cowboys. You just can't find one. The Saints had one that went for like 11 yards. Eagles had one that went for like nine yards. And then the rest of them were minimal gains and or very often losses, right? Number one. Some good physical corners tackle up there. Anthony Brown out of the slot is willing to come up and hit you. Byron Jones used to be a safety. He's willing to come up and hit you. But number two, those backers key on movement on the offensive line very, very quickly, and they fly into it, and they will take off offensive linemen's heads. Van Der Esch took Jason Peters for a ride on a running play. I didn't see it my first time through. I saw it again when I was coming back. Well, I was just like, gee, Willikers, people don't <laughs> usually do that, Jason Peters. That's something, right? That's something special. So... Uh, you know, you, your screen plays, your misdirection plays, they will get sucked in by jet motion a little bit. Yeah. Um, they like to go chase that down. Like I said, they, they run into the flats. It's a little bit like dogs in that way. But overall, uh, it's very hard to run misdirection plays and to get to the outside, to the boundary of this box. It's very difficult. What that means is then you're tasked with running into the teeth of them, into contact, into space. And you saw the Saints try to run a lot of trap plays. Uh, the Eagles try to run a ton of trap plays. Washington just ran inside zone at them as best as they could but even that's difficult we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit we talk from a wider perspective how the cowboys make zone difficult for you it's very cool um generally speaking what's what's cool about these linebackers at their size they're super fast and they're super aggressive and it, it just leads to complete and total just bowl in a china shop just think about van der Esch's game winning potentially stop against Corey Clement there at the end of the game, that screenplay on that third and short in the fourth quarter. Van yeah. Rush takes two for one. He yeah. takes two linemen because he sees the screen develop quickly and he just goes, puts on his battering helmet and just goes and runs through people. Right. And, 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 and it's very difficult to find guys that size who can get there that quickly. It's yeah. not regular. And the Cowboys have two of them. So moving, moving on from the linebacking core, which is awesome for the Cowboys. Look, as we pre- prepare for this game, uh, obviously you watch the film, but I also check out guys who I trust uh, who are breaking things down as well. And Seth Galina, shout out Seth at Seth Galina, that's G-A-L-I-N-A, who knows the Saints offense incredibly well and broke down how some of the things went wrong for them with the Saints against the Cowboys. Some reoccurring themes on the plays and breakdowns that he posted Number one, having a single high safety to cap and take away post routes, and you're going to see a lot of single high coverage from the Cowboys. They're a cover one, cover three team, and I know you want to dig into that, and we will, but mm-hmm. as we let's continue on with these trends for a moment. Number two, rushing four and allowing underneath linebackers to quote-unquote cut shallow crossers like the Cowboys like to do. Number three, and this is the main one for me in this point, getting pressure with four 
and not giving the Saints weapons time to uncover on their vertical yeah. concepts or onto their third or fourth progression, which later on open up, but you can't get to it. Now, if you remember, the Eagles got very little pressure against the Saints, and let's put that in perspective. Eagles pressured Drew Brees on 27% of his dropbacks, their lowest total of the year. The Cowboys pressured Brees on 37% of his dropbacks, 10 points higher. What made that pass rush go for the Cowboys? Well, Anthony Brown got home on his lone blitz, and we could talk about that play later, but Demarcus Lawrence collected five pressures in a sack. Malik Collins generated... That was the best game I've ever seen Malik Collins play, hands down. Also, the only good play I've ever seen, game I've ever seen him play, but that's not important. Yeah, definitely. He generated excellent interior push. He had five pressures on the day. It moved Breeze off the spot. It made him real uncomfortable, and in limited snaps, despite the dumb penalties, uh, Randy Gregory... He took away a sack fumble that the Cowboys recovered. But again, despite that mishap, he had two pressures on 14 pass rush snaps. And our friend John Owning has said that he's gotten better as the season has gotten along. And if I trust anyone with edge play, it's John Owning. So, but what's pressure if you don't have the initial coverage to make a difference? Now, Breeze had a 105 quarterback rating under pressure against the Eagles. That number drops to 69 against the Cowboys. The Saints had plays where if things developed, Things were getting open, but the Cowboys' initial coverage took the early stuff away. The rush didn't allow the bigger hitting concepts to uncover. And you wonder, okay, well, what do the Eagles do to combat this? Well, last week they had the highest frequency of play-action dial-ups in the young career of Carson Wentz. Essentially half the dropbacks came off run fakes. We've also noticed there's been more under center stuff because it suits Josh Adams better as a runner. And that kind of facilitates the play-action game, especially with the nakeds and boots and waggles and all that. Is that the key again for the Eagles? Because while they ran it at a lower frequency against the Cowboys in Week 10, Carson was still in that game on play action, 9 for 10, 142 yards, and a touchdown with a quarterback rating of 152 off those play action plays. That that was that was Eagles against the Cowboys. That was yes. his play action rating. Okay, that was- that's that's that that will help me make my point. <laughs> <laughs> so the only incompletion. Out of that 9 for 10 was that sideline shot where, to Jeffrey that got batted down by that late play by Chidobia Wuzie, who made a last-moment terrific play. But they were getting guys open on those concepts. That was that, uh, that, was that first quarter two-man route. They were, in the, like they were inside the 40. Bingo. So That one? Yeah. And I think I already see where you're going with this. Is that the way this offense is or should trend or at the very least is the case for this game? Yeah. Because it will help them alleviate pressure as well and let those concepts develop against this pass rush. Uh, yeah, I think so. So one thing I want to make a note because you kind of hinted at this and I kind of had this take while I was watching it. I didn't watch the first half of the Cowboys Saints game live because I didn't think I was going to need to. And then I watched the second half like while I was like doing stuff and I was like, this is the worst. Saints beat the Eagles, like, what, like, 50-something to 3? Like, that wasn't actually the story. It was ridiculous. Cowboys beat the Saints 13 to 10. What if I told you the Cowboys' defensive game plan was really not that much different than the Eagles? Because it wasn't. The simple reality was the Cowboys had people who could cover Michael Thomas, Trey Smith, and Keith Kirkwood, and the Eagles couldn't. And that just goes to show you the subjectivity of evaluating defensive coordinators' performances, right? Like, like, Schwartz... Could have done more with worse personnel, question mark? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But the reality is that, like, if Schwartz had had the players that he wanted to have playing at the level he would have liked, he would have just did what Dallas did. And and obviously, like, you know, it's, I'm not saying that it's going to work every week. Obviously, Dallas was able to get the best of the Saints. That one time, they were highly motivated. They were at home. Their pass rush really stepped up. But it's the fact that Dallas is going to come out as a defense, and they are going to play cover one man, and they are going to play cover three, and they are going to dare you to do anything against it. And you will really struggle to because that secondary is good. 
Yep. Right? Linebacking core is the strength of the defense. Secondary is very, very solid. Defensive line is the weakness. Uh, this secondary. Obviously, Byron Jones on the backside. What Byron Jones gives you in terms of his length and his quickness is the ability to erase a third of the field, right? Whether it's cover three or when it's cover one or when they run cover three Mabel, right? When they're running their cover three match, when you go to an unbalanced set, if you go three by one, they'll respond with cover three Mabel. And and Mabel at the end starts with MA. It's tagged for man. Cover three man is kind of what like the key is, the code. And that man indicates that on the backside, the one wide receiver side, you're playing pure man coverage, and that's going to be Byron Jones. And so he gets to take a player away, and now you're playing with six zone coverage defenders against three, potentially four routes. That's a great numerical advantage for the defense. And that's what cover three Mabel gets you to do, and that's why you need a player like Byron Jones to pull it off. And then obviously, I think Anthony Brown is playing out of his mind in the slot. I think Brown is having a fantastic season. We're not talking about enough. Awuzi is the guy who I think is, is a little bit more hit or miss, and they move him around a fair bit as well. Um... But regardless, that that secondary is very, very strong. Why is play action valuable? Well, there's two things. If you go, t- uh, according to the Eagles-Cowboys game earlier this season, if you go tight splits, right? If you bring in your your 12, your 13 personnel, you motion those wide receivers in. Why are you smiling? I think I think I know where, uh, what, what you're eventually going to hit on. But yeah, please continue. Right, I think okay. we're of the same mind on this. When you go tight splits and you motion those players in, number one, that's a run key for the defense. It's what you've been doing to run the ball. So you can hit play action off it nicely. But number two, you very often force the Cowboys into cover three. Uh, when you have those tight splits, very tricky to run cover uh, to run cover one to run man out of that alignment uh, because it's very natural for rubs and for quick crosses and for in breaking routes. So very often you force a defense into a cover three sort of a look, especially when you motion into it, Mike, because you might come out in three by one and they're running Mabel or they're running cover three Buzz, right? Or they're, they're another one of their pattern matches. But when you motion into it, well, they have to check that motion and they'll often check it to just their base cover three. You check to your base defense. Out of that tight splits then against this cover three, yes, you can get big style of rollouts and you get big flow in one direction. You can run split zone flow, which as I said, will draw in those linebackers. Vander Esch, especially the rookie, will bite on zone flow. And then you give bootleg action the other way and now you're running levels concepts Carson is a is, is probably his best concept that he throws is on the run throwing levels reading the depth of the defense and, and levels is a natural cover three beater it's a great situation to be in to open up intermediate crossers with your tight end so there's that if you go spread you very often get them into cover one man that's going to be a situation Mike where instead of going under under shotgun this is my big thing for this game yeah go under uh, instead of going under center go shotgun and run read option, right? So here's the thing. Philadelphia loves to go spread, and they'll go with 11 personnel, and they'll leave a tight end in, right? And against the Eagles constantly, against that alignment, so you got shotgun back to, to the quarterback's left, tight end over to the right. Dallas went with a strong front. They brought their Sam backer down onto the line of scrimmage. So we're talking about on that right side, the strong side, the side the ball would be run toward. You have a three technique between the guard and the tackle. The defensive end is basically playing a five technique, either head up on the tackle or a little bit outside the tackle. Mm-hmm. And then they've got their Sam linebackers, a stand-up seven technique in on that tight end. So the B gap, C gap, and D gap are all occupied. What does that do? it makes it very, very difficult to run zone to that side. Right. Because when you run inside zone especially, you want two linemen climbing up to get to the linebacker so as to create running lanes. When you occupy the outside like that, it makes it very, very difficult for the tight end to get releases into routes, and it makes it very difficult to run zone to that side because everything is very congested. You have to bend zone back inside. And they still will have Vanderesh and Smith 
off ball playing in the play side A gap and the backside B gap. And now you're running directly at those guys. And that's not a good situation to be in because they're very fast and they're very aggressive. I don't know if you heard. Yeah. You and, and Philadelphia's response to this in the game, they came out in the second half. They started running same side zone. They started right. running inside zone weak. And what does that look like? Halfback is off to the left. Tight ends off to the right. Typically, that means you're running inside zone to the right. You know, the halfback's going to cross the quarterback's face. Philadelphia started running zone to the left out of that formation. So now you've got four blockers on four defenders, two of them being the, the the backers. And the back takes a step into the quarterback, but then he grabs the ball and he runs a zone path to the left. So you're running zone weak. That's cool, but that's also tricky. That's not how you like to run zone. It's difficult to get the running back onto his landmarks at the correct time because it's yeah. same side zone. They can continue to run that. They found some success with it. But if you just run zone read, Mike, and you leave that backside defensive end unblocked, and you let Carson keep it a couple times, which yeah. I know, Carson running the ball, very scary. But if they're going to bring that Sam backer down, you can hit zone read for six-yard chunk gains constantly. Yeah. Constantly, Mike, if they're going to bring that backer down. Because it forces those linebackers to move over slightly, and it gives you a, a lane for the quarterback to hit. And then once that weak side backer starts staying home, just feed it to Josh Adams and tell him, listen, when you see sunlight, run directly into it. Run straight freaking forward, which is yeah. the best skill. He's going to pick up five yards. I would love to see them run literally read option with Carson Wentz, which I know it like like sounds scary. But when I look at that front, to me, that's the best solution. You could hit big gains off of that if they're going to bring that sandbacker down. Look, and listen, this is not the time to have bubble wrap around Carson Wentz. This is time to go win a football game, go win a division. So you do what you have to do. And if that means that you expose Carson Wentz to a little bit more, then that's just going to have to be what it is. He's going to have to be smart as a runner, especially with those linebackers lurking around. But one of the points that I wanted to hit on, something that you mentioned, and you talk about condensed uh, splits. Ben, do you have a game pass open by chance? I want you to turn to page fourth quarter. Turn your books. Of the Saints and I don't. Ha- I don't have it open. But oh, I watched okay. the whole Saints game, so you can talk to me about it. So at 11.25, first and 10, this is the Anthony Brown sack. So what, what I'm worried about on this play is the fact that you mentioned the the condensed splits. You get the two-by-two, two, so two wide receivers, two wide receivers to the other side, and you get that cover-three look like you were saying you can force them into. What the Cowboys do is they bring Anthony Brown down. It looks like he's going to cover that wide receiver on the left, but he's capped by a safety. But because of the condensed alignment, you know, a cap doesn't mean as much. It's not as obvious. It's not as much of a blitz right. tell, which is as, as it normally would be. So what they do is they blitz off the right with Anthony Brown and Jalen Smith, and then they drop a defensive end on the other side. And he ends up dropping right in like the middle of the three route combination where Kamara is releasing into. They do that a lot. Yeah. And this is something that has given Carson Wentz problems throughout the season. Also, blitzes have given the, the Eagles problems throughout the season. We detailed it after the Giants game. So that's something that they have to be cognizant of. If they go in those condensed splits, they have to be aware that the nickel can come and they'll have those late rolling safeties to come and cap that corner to take his man when they want to bring him. But let's let's talk a little bit more about the, the run game here because we look at pro football focus and their offensive line blocking advantage metric. It's about neutral for the passing game, but the Eagles own the biggest advantage in the run game of the week, they have them at 30, uh, plus 38%. Now, again, this does not take into account 
the linebackers. So they're saying just line for line, the Eagles should be able to yes. dominate that front four, which is surprising when you, when you consider that the Cowboys rank sixth in rush defense uh, DVOA again because, because their of line linebackers. Because their linebackers are freaking insane. Yeah, we know it's very it important to understand because I'm still getting yelled at three days later for saying that the Washington front seven is better than the Cowboys front seven. And honestly, having gone through three games of Cowboys defensive film, it's probably a push. They're playing pretty well. But I feel totally fine with that take because here's the thing, Mike, the second best pass rusher on the Dallas Cowboys is Jalen Smith, their middle linebacker who (laughs) blitzes a lot and is good when he blitzes. Everyone else. Antoine Woods, kind of good sometimes. It's weird. Antoine Woods, honestly, he's the one who actually impressed me the most. Uh, Malik Collins, five reps a game, does something good. Every other pass rush, he's pretty much taking it off. That 93... Two good pass rushes that I saw for always. Randy Gregory, I don't trust him, and I never will. True. So keeping it with the run game, though, Ben, Josh Sorry. Adams, I have a bet for you. This is why I'm. Okay. This is why I'm really hammering uh, on this. Josh Adams' season high came last week, 85 yards. Had 84 yards the week before. Over under, and I'll explain this a little bit. 100 yards for Josh Adams over under. Keep in mind, this is the Cowboys what? defense that haven't given up. 100 yards on the ground in the last four games straight. Does Adams get a bill? And no, you cannot cop out by invoking game script. There is a a 1% chance he hits 100 yards. And it would have to be. If if Adams hits 100 yards, he picks up at least 50 of them on one rush. What about total for the group, including Carson Wentz? I'll even give you scrambles. I don't know. (laughs) (sighs) 97. 97%? That's your confidence index? Oh, no, I was saying they get 97 yards. Yeah. 97 yards. Which would be a similar confidence index because it's out of 100. Just say under if you're going to be a coward. Well, it's very close. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it to you this way. I don't envision this being a game in which game script dictates that Philadelphia has a lot of running opportunity. I feel like this is going to be close enough for four quarters, even if the Eagles do win, to the point where they're still going to be throwing the ball pretty regularly. And I think that, yeah, I think that the best way for you to consistently move the ball against this team will be with play-action passes, attacking the intermediate middle of the field, as well as the deep middle of the field, Mike, because their safety, Xavier Woods, will play aggressively into the intermediate middle area of the field, especially against play-action, so as to cover that area to give time for the linebackers to bail back into that area, mm-hmm. which means that you have to be able to hit deep things over the top. And this is another thing that we should we should talk about with the Saints game specifically. Uh, like I said, Cowboys run a ton of cover three, cover one. On third down, they are... I think I think the, the thing that impressed me the most about the Cowboys' defense was red zone defense, and then a close second was third down. By the way, red zone defense, third in the league this year, second in the last three weeks, Ben. And that's you know, I gotta 33%. That is yeah. bonkers. And here's, and, and here's the, the long and the short of it. When they're in the red zone and when they're in third down, they are going to run man coverage and they are going to dare you to beat one of their corners yeah. with a route. The nice thing is Philadelphia's got a tight end named Zach Ertz. And so they don't have to worry about the corners as much if they leave them in line. Um, but you need to win your man-beating routes against this team to beat them, period. Yes. You, like, like... You can go like at third and five. Alshon Jeffrey against, I believe it was Jadobia Woozy, uh, runs like a seven yard stick route. Carson puts the ball, you know, in a, in a tough spot, but the right spot. Alshon gets both hands on it, drop incomplete. Third and, and one before the fourth and one failed Josh Adams run. Uh, Golden Tate's got a little whip route. Uh, Anthony Brown reads it the entire way. 
Golden Tate, uh, Carson's got to put it too far outside. Golden Tate can't pick it up. Philadelphia did not win their man-beating routes against Dallas, right. and it just kills drives. Because yep. in third down, they put their, their corners directly on the line, and they say, guess what? There's no secret. We're about to send five. <laughs> the rusher's going to be Jalen Smith. Yep. He's going to be coming from exactly where he is, directly into the gap he's currently aligned, by the way. We're going to give him smelling salt right before the snap. Yeah, right, right. So what they, like, they're... um. They're, what they'll do is they'll they'll go when they blitz with Smith. It's three linemen to one side of the ball, and then one defensive end way to the other side. And they put Smith right in the middle, and they say, "Hey, he's coming." It's no secret. Yeah. But sometimes they'll send him, and then they'll have their nose tackle, their one tech, flip to the other side. So if you slid protection to the three linemen side, you're now screwed. Philadelphia got got by that one. They'll bring that lineman. They'll stunt him, and then they'll send Smith. They'll, Smith will come downfield, and then he'll come in behind him. And so again, now you're screwed if you slid left to deal with Smith. Um, so they're, they're basically just run a two-man game with, with Smith and with whoever that nose tackle is. Very often it's Antoine Woods. Um, but that's like, their, their blitzes are not like, it's no secret what's about to happen. It's just like, listen, Jalen Smith is very large and very aggressive. So like, this is yeah. going to be a problem for you regardless. And if you try to pick him up with a running back, he might end up you in don't Don't try protocol. to pick him up. Don't try to pick him up with a running back. Don't try to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then they're running cover one right on the line. And they're saying, hey, I dare you to try to hit a slant. We have very good corners. Yeah. Right. And, and like, that's what you can do when you have very good corners. You got to win your man beaters. Uh, Golden Tate is more integrated into the offense. That's helpful. Tate is, I think, good against man. He's better against zone. This feels like, you know, we've been saying Alshon hasn't necessarily gotten too many targets. Alshon's the best man beating wide receiver the Eagles have specifically on this team. You may even be able to argue, depending on who, who's on Zach Ertz, he's just the man, best man beating receiving option, period. Because Ertz is still, again, I think better at reading zone and fitting in space between zone than he is playing man. Alshon's just got that height, weight, speed profile that helps you a lot against man. Big Alshon game is necessary for sure. When it comes to third down, Philadelphia is going to run three-step hitch, throw, timing concepts. It's going to be five-yard slant. It's going to be five-yard curls. That's what they're going to do on third down. That's the reality. When you step into the red zone now, that's where things come trickier, Mike. Because it's very hard to run up the throw of this defense. We've already talked about how hard it is to run to the outside of this defense. And then you got to win your man route. So what? Is Philadelphia going to start throwing fades in the red zone? It's not something we've seen them do at all this year. They're going to have to do some more re- uh, rub concepts yeah, like rub they did routes, against the Redskins. Right? Yeah, but I tell you right now, the Cowboys are much better against rubs than the Redskins ever were. I, yeah. my, like, I, I've got a lot of answers for what Philadelphia should do from their zero to the Dallas Cowboy 10. Uh, <laughs> and then when we get inside the 10, man... I don't know. Ask ask Golden Tate to grow like five inches. Like that's my my biggest answer. It's that's when your humility kicks in. That's funny. I think once you get to like the twenty fifteen, you start you stop thinking first down, which you you already do. But you really stop thinking first down and start thinking touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't. I don't want to get inside the ten against this defense. Yeah. At all. That's very tricky. They're very suffocating. Give a ton of credit for that. Super well coached. Super aggressive. Super physical. Very well disciplined. You don't get them a lot of, with a lot of rub routes and that sort of stuff. So when you're at the 20 and you have still space on the sideline to try to throw that pylon route, that's when I'm trying to take it. Yeah. And I think that's my best shot for, for putting seven in. Yeah, there's there's two zones. Once you start to get around the 40-yard line, you start to sniff like you're about to be in field goal territory. Cowboys like to send the blitz, so you got to survive that. Once you get past that, you get into that you know that soft red zone where they call it the green zone or whatever it is, that 20 to 30-yard line area. That's when you take your shots to avoid those red zone reps against the Cowboys where the field condenses and they have that secondary there with the linebackers and and all that. So I agree with all that. And looking at this line for the game right now, it is at 44 for the over under. The Cowboys are favored by three and a half. 
let's just call it because I'm not going to do a half a point. I'm going to do 23 to 20 for this hypothetical mm-hmm. situation like we always do. Let's just say for this hypothetical that the Cowboys are the team scoring 23. I'm not even going to say the W word. Do the Eagles score over 20 points, Ben? Yes. I think that this game is more likely to become a high-scoring close game than it is to become a low-scoring close game because I think that the Eagles team will rise to the occasion. Just when I look at it from a unit perspective, which unit is better built to rise to the occasion? The offense. Yeah. Uh, the offense has you know right. more weapons and has the opportunity to, I think, puts more points on the board. And offense is stickier. So like you said, nobody has scored 30 points against the Cowboys yet this year. I'm not sure Philadelphia will be the first team. However, if they're going to beat the Cowboys, they need 24. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. So you got to have to get at least close to 30, if not breaking it. Um, so yeah, I think they're gonna, I think they will. They're gonna have opportunities to score on the defensive side or set up the offense from the defensive side too. And obviously we're gonna talk about that. Listen, I mean, like, like we, we, you know, Dakota we, like, like nobody, six last game. nobody, yeah, nobody has scored this, that, and the other thing, the many points against the Cowboys. Listen, the, the Saints and the Eagles both, you know, these are two games we've really been focusing on. Not so much the Redskins. Colt McCoy actually played kind of well in that game. Yeah. But the Saints and the Eagles both had just ton of opportunity to score close and they weren't able to mm-hmm. and part of that is because dallas is a really good red zone defense another part of it is because of drops and mistakes and 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 failures and then like you said like Camus like could have made seven points on the defensive side eagles should have put more points up on the cowboys the cowboys defense is not as good as a team that always holds the saints to 10 points like that's important to understand this is a right. good defense and i hopefully we have given them their due over the course of this podcast but it's not like we're facing a team that held the saints offense that killed the eagles to 10 points and they do that every week you know what i mean right this they got lucky on a, on a more than a few plays and the saints missed more than a few opportunities that's that's the reality of the national football league so philadelphia like i firmly like the eagles were at a point where they i think they had three points at the end of the first half saints had zero points at the end of the first half you gotta have to start out quick you can't be punting the ball away letting the cowboys rack up time of possession early that put you behind the sticks quick put you behind in the scoreboard quick but philadelphia absolutely especially with the offense we've seen over the past two weeks, yes. should be able to score and should be able to move the ball against this Cowboys defense. Is it going to be seven or is it going to be three? Number one. Number two, are we going the full length of the field with three drives a half or are we getting short fields and we're getting four or five drives a half? Right. That's where the defense matters. And, you know, a uh, little spoiler, a little uh, you know, preview of, of tomorrow's episode, the Eagles defense is 32nd in the league and not like 32nd and it's close 32nd in the league by a mile in marginal explosiveness which is to say this defense creates nothing yeah it doesn't make anything happen yeah it either allows it or it doesn't but it doesn't do it (laughs) right It, 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 it like i put it i put it this way when i described that i said this defense is one of two things Sack slash tackle for loss on first and second down, and then picket defense, and yes, we did get a tackle before the sticks, good deal, and now you've punted and we've got the ball inside of our own 30, or you scored. Like, those are the only two things. Right. Those are the two eventualities. So, uh, 32nd in marginal explosiveness, 31st in big play rate. So, if they could maybe make a play or two this week, that would be awesome. Ben, I'll agree that the Eagles score over 20. I thought you did a good job summarizing that. I think that covers it for today's show. As we mentioned before, BGN Radio is going to be coming up in the morning, and then we'll have another Kist and Solak show. We'll be flipping sides of the ball. We'll have the Eagles defense against the Cowboys offense. We'll break that down as we go into the weekend ahead of this gigantic matchup 
of Titans, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, Jason Garrett and Doug Peterson. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Uh, thank you, as always, gentle listeners, for listening to the show. Uh, Mike already did the wrap-up, uh, but fortunately, I'm prepared this time. I actually wanted to give a shout-out to somebody. This was really cool. So my sister got engaged on Thanksgiving. Oh, congrats to her, dude. Let her know I said uh, good stuff. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, and her her fiancé is, is a man in the Army, and, and his brother, her future brother-in-law, is in the Air Force. He was on a plane, I believe from Paris, uh, a few days ago, and got he got it. to talking with another guy who was from Pennsylvania. That family's from Pittsburgh. And he was an Eagles fan. And he started talking about like, oh, like my, my, my brother's marrying this girl and his brother, her brother works in, in football and whatever and like does this podcast. Da, da, da. And the guy asked like, wait, what's his name? And he was like, it's Ben Solak. And this dude, name is Jeremy Fox. He's in the Air Force. Listens to the show, Mike, in Paris. Yo. He loves the show. He was like, dude, I love Ben. He didn't say anything about you. Not surprised. Um, <laughs> but he was, he, no, he, he listens to the show and he loves it overseas. And it was really cool. So the story got like relayed to me through my sister, through her future mother-in-law, da, 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 like big, like huge connection. But anyway, shout out to Jeremy Fox. Don't know when you're listening to this. Thank you for everything you do for the country. Uh, and it's so cool that through wild connections and very, very nice fortune, uh, we got to hear about one of our listeners overseas. That's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. This is the show. Jeremy, what we need you to do is add us on Twitter so that we could submit you a poll. I couldn't find him on Twitter. But oh. yeah, we do. We have to ask you a question. Yeah, we have a very serious question to ask you because we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.